Hey guys, I had Pina on the show with me this week. Pina is a performer and writer and poet and experimental artist and creative counselor who's been working in the artistic business for quite some time. Had such a blast talking with her at SIP beer and coffee garage really really fun conversation so much just enthusiasm to share i loved it quick plug for myself on the side laughing pig theater who i've been working with has some projects coming up i don't want to get into too many details about all of them right now but if you just want to check out laughingpigtheater.com or laughing pig theater on facebook and instagram that would be awesome but in the meantime i had this wonderful conversation with pina Starving Artist Phoenix. I'm Tony Machete, and with me today is Pina. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thank you. I am really excited that you set aside some time with me so quickly because I just uh, encountered you for the first time last week doing the uh, the torch show. You're the monologist for the neighborhood. From what I understand, you're mostly doing a performance art, you know, one woman shows stuff. It's it's pretty much just you on stage. So it seems like you were pretty comfortable in that atmosphere of kind of just bringing up your own stories. How did you get into that form of art? Well, I've been working with Kim Porter at Space 55, and um, she does the solo development workshop. But actually, uh, well, like in my one-woman show, um, Pinhead Number 1, which I took to Australia, and this year I'm taking it to Scotland. And those are self-producing, so you basically self-produce your own show. So I've done a lot of fundraisers, so on the average I'll get like 1,000 to 2,000 to help me out, but this one I'm doing all on my own because I'm working full time. But anyway, long story short, when I was in high school, I fell into theater by accident. As I seen my one woman show, cooking class was full. <laughs> so I never learned to cook. But, um, I'm Italian, that's shameful. Um, but both my parents cook. I mean, I cook enough, but I don't cook like I should cook, yeah, right. you know? You gotta be able to cook for 20 people up here in Italian. <laughs> yeah, right. And make your own spaghetti sauce. <laughs> I mean, I lived in New York and I used to follow like the smell of spaghetti sauce, you know. <laughs> but anyway, I started doing monologues because I kind of was like an outsider and um, I didn't fit in. So, and I loved to write. Writing was my first art. So I would just write things. And then I would like, like I do improv now. And the reason I do improv is because I'm so on the outside. Like my brain, I try to think like everybody else, but sometimes <laughs> my brain doesn't think like other people. So I take improv to kind of get into group mind. But my one-woman shows are really like my polemics. This show is like, I have a little blurb. It's uh, basically pinhead number one, when a lifelong outcast who has finally managed to fit in, falls in love with a transgender playwright. She must decide whether to protect her newfound status or accept the role she was born to play, pinhead number one. <laughs> intriguing. <laughs> intriguing to say the least. And it's, it's basically about, when I started the audition, I was getting cast as all these freaks. So like in high school, the first freak was called Mighty Germ. When it's like, oh, I am the Mighty Germ who makes children squirm. And um, basically, it was I got a standing ovation. 
And it was kind of sad because I had a best friend, Stacy. She was wonderfully Jewish. I loved her. And she had the saddest little face uh -huh. on her because she had the lead role and I got this standing ovation for like this two minute <laughs> monologue about this idiot mighty German. <laughs> and I wasn't in, even into theater. I wasn't going to go on. You know, I didn't, I wasn't faced by it or anything. So what, what got you to audition for that first time around then? Okay, to be honest, I got a crush on the drama teacher. That'll do it. <laughs> How many stories have started that way? That would be bad. And uh, so the drama teacher said, take theater, and I took it. And then I wasn't going to register the following year, and she begged me. It, she was like, um, I need you to, like, do the direct thing, because I was also into, I'm really much a leader. Okay. So when um, the drama teacher had to leave the class, I basically took over when I was like 14 years old. And um, she's like, I gotta go, I got an emergency. I said, I'll do it. So I ended up directing a one act play and then getting really serious about theater, wow. you know. Okay, that's, that's fantastic. And so to ask you, so to jump around in time a little bit oh, yeah, too. Yeah. So you, you mentioned before you, you started off writing before performing. What was that writing like looking like? How was that structured? Was it all just kind of free form, like your thoughts on paper? Was it uh, written as a monologue? How was it? How's it well, I first started with poetry. Okay. I love poetry. Right. Um, and actually, my first form of poetry was haiku, which is really hard. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> It's like, and I, I facilitate groups now, because uh -huh. um, I've got a master's in counseling psychology, expressive art therapies, and I always do haiku, because you can use it for art, and what, but I'm telling people, you still got to count on your fingers. But basically, it was a way out of all the trouble I was in, like to get the stuff on paper. And then from there, I like to just write stream of consciousness. You know, I need an editor. So basically I write the stuff and then like I get a coach or an editor to help me kind of edit it and pull things out. Mm -hmm. I've worked with Tanya Katan. She's excellent. Do you know her? No, I'm not. Oh, okay, she's here in town. And Kim Porter. Like this show took years and years. Yeah. And the reason it did is because it's, I can never say this French word right, but memoir, <laughs> or, or memoir, excuse me. So but, it's throwing, uh, just, <laughs> A lot of stuff, you know, on paper, just get, generating a lot, a lot, a lot of information, and then just kind of pulling pieces out from there. Yeah, it. and it's yeah. almost like therapy, but then you got to forget that when you go on stage and make it entertaining and art. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the process itself can be very therapeutic, especially if you're like Kim would yell at me, "You're not acting; you're just standing there telling a story." <laughs> and so there is acting in there, but you have to get to the authentic self and just be real and like raw and vulnerable on stage, and that's hard. Yeah. I can imagine, yeah, especially when it's your own personal true story. Yeah. yeah, but it's so rewarding. Yeah, I mean, you might get one or two. Like, I don't get large audiences. I have. It depends. Like, what the one I did here larger because I live here. But who the hell knows me in Australia? I mean, and plus those festivals are so huge. That's the second hugest, and the one in Scotland is the biggest international. Edinburgh, festival. right? Yeah. 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 But last night I just went to see. I don't know if you know who Christina Wong is. Yes, oh, we, oh my, my wife God, and I, I were going My wife and I were going to go see that and then we had a conflict come up so we missed oh it. Oh my God! <laughs> like I'm totally inspired. And getting back cuz she did the festival. Now she was showing a a bar graph and her first show was about I don't know if you know Asian Americans who committed suicide and stuff women. She was showing a bar graph and it was like, well, you can't see, but it was very very small in the 8 years yeah. like this was her audience in those 8 years and she still did her show. And then like when she went online to do like Twitter and all that, she's like, here's my audience. It's so sad. It's crazy. 
But this show is getting more recognition because of the times. Yeah. You know, like she went to Uganda. She's talking about uh, powerful women and just more global things that are relevant. Sure. So she's getting a larger audience. She's and, kind of the zeitgeist behind her a little bit. On that. But I mean, it, it, she's like, I basically she said her work is for marginalized and so is mine. That's kind of like, this whole show is about being like an outsider trying to fit in and how I was typecasted socially, mentally, and physically. Right. You know, and I'm not Asian American, I'm Italian American. <laughs> so people may go, huh? But, uh... <laughs> You, know. you, you were mentioning too, yeah. So when you started saying that, that was the first freak that you played was the the germ, mighty germ, and so. But that was something that came up consistently. Do you feel like that was in part due to how well you did it when it was given to you? Do you think that kind of yeah. helped stick you in that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then um, but then it got to be like I got a complex because the second part was like Casper Hauser, and I don't know if you've heard of him. But he was an autistic German man who was raised, uh, who was known to be raised in a darkened cell for like 16 years. Oh so God. he could barely walk and talk. And um, the casting director is like, you're perfect! And I'm like, what the fuck? What and he's like, you're only going to wear a diaper! And I'm like, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> are you fucking crazy? <laughs> well, how do you take that? <laughs> That's what I'm saying is I started getting like, kind of like, what's wrong with me? You get like a complex. You know, but um, I do want to mention I'm doing this. Uh, I'm a Gemini, okay. so <laughs> we kind of skip around. What's your sign? Aries. Oh, okay, that's cool. So if I that. seem like I'm skipping around, it's because I have a, these variety of interests. Yeah, by all means, that's what we're here for. So I've been doing this. I don't know if Jose told you from Torch, but I've been doing this really cool project. We call it New World Beings, and it's myself and this um, guy named Jen. That's okay. his pseudo name. Yeah. So. <laughs> my Pina is my real name. In Italian, it's just a Pina, uh -huh. so I just use Pina. Makes but at day-to-day -day jobs, I use Josephine. So that way, and that's the Gemini. That way I can, gotcha. when I'm a counselor, protect my whole thing. Right. And then when I'm a performance artist, I'm like Pina, and the clients don't Separate know. Separate those two lives, kind of. Okay. But, um, yeah, New World Beings is really cool. Basically, we meet <laughs> at my place because I moved into my grandmother's old house and so it's like an underground oh. I use the back living room that my grandpa built in there and I never met him it's kind of interesting he was part Scottish he was murdered when my mom was like 12 oh, and that's one of the reasons I want to go to Scotland <laughs> seek out my relatives no, but, anyway. <laughs> but this guy Jen he contacted me we met at Space 55 in um, the solo workshop he could, it's very personal in there when you're developing, so you get to learn things about people. And we both have this thing about fluid gender, sexuality kind of thing. So he said, you want to do this project with me? And his idea was, you know, and please don't, you know, I'm not quoting him. Right. <laughs> he said I could talk about it. But he wanted to do something where we were naked. He's a nude, he models nude. But it's not about the sexuality of it, it's about like the Zen, because we're both like into um, Zen and Ellen Watts. And then also like, um, I like to, do, I feel a lot of masculine energy, he feels feminine energy. So it's really cool, we do, our sessions are like, we meditate first to start. I'm really into movement, experimental movement, so I'm the one that's kind of got us moving. And um, I'm into what's called Buto. Japanese. It's really cool. I should have brought the book. But anyway, it up, yeah. yeah, it's Japanese dance and it's all about dance of the death and the dead. And they usually paint their bodies white and they're very expressive faces. There's a lot more going on than, than I can actually articulate. But 
it's really cool because it's dark. It's like Dance of the Dark Soul. And um, we're basically trying to break these barriers of like gender and also body type. Because like, I'm at the highest weight I've ever been. And him and I always talk because like he wants to be way less, he wants to weigh less, I want to weigh less. And, but we've done a show already at uh, Space 55. And again, it's not about the, it's just about being free with your bodies. Yeah. Actually, that I mean, again, like you were saying before, um, that's just as much for you maybe as for other people to, to kind of have that opportunity to say, you know, in front of other people, like this is who I am. This is, you know, me at my my very starkest. You know, this is this is everything that I am. Yeah, and it, the thing is, with all the art that I do, yeah. it's like you want to empower people to be themselves. Yeah. And with the stories that you tell, it's not going to be their story, but they can find a part of their story in your story. And like with Christina Wong, I was just so inspired. I was like, oh my God, because she did that show for eight years, regardless of the size of audience. And I think it's about just doing your work, you know, and now she's got two national commercials and she's very marginalized. I mean, Asian, American, Chinese, you know, but she's doing wonderful, great things. And that, I mean, that brings me to something that is something I, I bring up a lot on the show, just the idea of creating your own opportunities. Oh, yeah. Just, I mean, because like you've said, you when you are going to other people for opportunities, it sounds like you're not getting something that's making you feel comfortable even. You're not getting what you want from it. So when did you feel like it's time to carve my own path? Probably too early on. <laughs> well, I, um, I graduated from SCC with the um, AA. And then I applied to go get a BA in theater arts and I went to California, Cal State Fullerton. Because I wanted an Irene Ryan award, you know that one on Beverly Hillbillies. So my, my parents were pissed off because I got in six colleges and um, I was supposed to go to San Diego State so we could all spend summers there. You got to love Fullerton. At the last minute I go, but I want an Irene Ryan award. But anyway, so I got nominated and the tragedy was I got this comedy part in, um, what was yeah. it, John Guare, okay. and um, I can't remember the title of the play, but I played this um, kid in Landscape of the Body, and I played this kid, and it was so cool because uh, I was 19, and I beat up the director's 14-year-old niece. <laughs> and I felt so bad, I told her, I'm sorry. The thing was, her she was way too mature, and I was way immature. <laughs> the 14-year-old couldn't play 14, that's funny. But anyway, so she did nominate me, but critics said that I wasn't funny in this one scene, and that's when I was starting to get into psychology. And the character's like brother had died, and I was thinking, oh, and they're like, but she wouldn't be like that. And I'm like, but oh, that's the inner... But anyway, so getting back to your question is I, I went to L.A. after Cal State Fullerton, and that ruined everything. You know, like, like I say in my shows, like I was basically going to these auditions, getting no callbacks, getting nowhere, and then I sought an agent, and she said, why don't you get a nose job? Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I started looking around L.A., and I was like, there's like 18 million body parts surgically altered here. And, it was about the wrong things, and my spirit was like dying. And um, that's when I headed to San Francisco because I have a friend there, and she invited me to go there. And that's when I really started getting into like the performance art and stuff. 
And that, again, is something that I've been talking actually a lot about recently is, you know, with a few previous guests I've had, just that idea of no matter how progressive we seem to be getting with with our society about, like, oh, yeah, we'll definitely uh, cast people of color in this, we'll definitely cast people of different sexual orientation. Somehow just that idea of what people believe to be conventional, like, appearance just is not something that can make a breakthrough so far. And that blows my mind still. Well, I know, me too. Like, I just got a new agent who I don't want to mention because yeah. I'm in the process of signing papers now and everything like that. Uh, I've had, like, three agents here. But, like, the agent said, um, so what do you want to do? And I said, I want a national commercial. <laughs> I told her, I said, because Christina Wong just got two. And she's Asian-American. And I'm like, I really feel like I, I want that because that'll fund my other stuff. Yeah. And, and of course, what she said is, "We're looking at you for like film acting." And I said, "Well, that's great too, but I still want." I'm like, "But I still want the." But you know what I'm saying is, they still see you. Yeah. As yeah. a certain type. Yeah, and it's just can't get out of it. I don't know what it is, but that is interesting though. How I do want to talk just from a technical standpoint too of getting an agent. So that's something that I think is a little overwhelming, a little intimidating for people first starting off their careers. So what was that like for you? That experience. We don't have too many here, yeah. so we're very limited, and I think you need to be realistic about it. Like at my age, I usually get a handful of auditions a year, but you do want one if you want a little bit of money, you know what I mean? Because basically they're the key to getting you some of the auditions that you can't get, so that's why I get it. It's sort of like a bonus. It's like I've already got the cake. I'm going to keep doing whatever I'm doing, and if I got something like that, that would be a bonus that could feed my my spiritual work and like the work that's like really important to me. But it is a game. Sure. Okay. So that seems like it was very much like a practical, like pragmatic decision for you to yeah. to do that. Uh, was that? Did you treat it that rationally when you were first like stepping into the office, sending the email? Was it natural for you to be like, look, you know, let's let's give me what you can, or was it a little nerve wracking? <laughs> um, no, but I hate it when they say like, we have somebody of your type, and you're like, I'm like. First, no one else looks like me here. <laughs> Second off, don't you want five of my type? And they're like, but we're so limited that we only can take one or two. So what I say to people is keep trying because I've had um, this one I got now, I had to try three times. The one before that three times. Like you can't give up and you always add something extra. Like this time I sent like a link to my one woman show. I don't know if this made a difference or not, you know, but I, I'm just saying. It's nice to like take breaks when you're feeling kind of like burnout on a whole, all the commercial crap. And you're, you know, you just take a little break and breathe in and like reevaluate and decide why you want something, what you want it for, get your priorities. And it seems like you, you've always treated this as something that you're doing while doing other things. Like, you know, oh, yeah. it doesn't seem like you've, I mean, apart from maybe some time on your one woman show, you never seem to be focusing on one thing at a time. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Is that just impossible for you to do? Or? I have such a variety of interests. Because now Jose asked me to do that vinyl storytelling. I can't wait. Mm. So I'm going to start looking through, um, like, old records at my parents' house. But, yeah, I, I have a variety of interests, and I like, I feel like there is a part of me that's a little, well, I would like to cash in on whatever part of me is mainstream. <laughs> I'm like, well, according to Zodiac, because I do fortune telling, so that's another thing I do, and I actually get paid for that. Oh, great, okay. I have an agent for that. It's separate. She's La Fiamma, which is um, Italian for fire. So um, anyway, uh, she sends me out. I work parties. It's like seasonal, and I might get five or six a year. But it's a hundred bucks an hour. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> 
And so my friend, who I partner with, who uh, were great, Italian and Irish, she got me into it. She sent me a link about 2018 in Gemini's, and we're supposed to make some big bucks. So I'm putting that out there. Because part of it is like, um, and Christina Wong talked about this at her, I went to her public talk on Tuesday too, at um, ASU Barrett. I've never been there before. Oh, that's the, uh, the theater Barrett college, college. Or, right? Yeah. Yeah, that place looks great. Oh yeah, I've never been. I mean, I think academia is really good for bringing in avant-garde artists and experimentation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, um, so anyway, uh, she was talking about we have to feel like we deserve more than the fringe. Like even though we're fringe artists, we got it in our head that like we're we're just fringe. Right, that there's no place for you in the mainstream because of what your friends. So you're kind of limiting yourself that way. Almost. Yeah. yeah, and like I mean, well, I won't say that. But when I was younger, I wrote <laughs> terrible poems about Hollywood <laughs> and how I wanted to like create the new Hollywood, you know. But I think Hollywood will always be Hollywood. Yeah. You just basically what you do is you keep doing the work that you do and you hope that you empower people enough to be themselves and maybe you create your own kind of you know success or like genre or whatever I think that's that's funny because that Jim and I are not I think that's a dichotomy a lot of artists have where well you know on one hand we'll be like oh New York Hollywood these cities they they take it and they commercialize it but then it's like oh yeah no I will definitely do that project if you ask me <laughs> well I mean I okay I was supposed to be in basic instinct oh I can talk about this now because I'm that old so I was cast as the nanny and it was a what do they call it? A higher level extra. Like yeah. there was no lines, but like when I got on the set, they rushed me to get makeup, everything. Yeah. So there was a protest going on in San Francisco. Uh, they were protesting that they were showing bisexuals in a negative way because that character Sharon Stone was a murderer, yeah. right? So I was just coming into my whole sexuality and bisexuality and all that. So I left the set. Well, turns out. The, the woman got her SAG card, her Screen Actors Guild card that took my place. Oh, shit. <laughs> but see, when yeah. I say, do I have regrets, I don't have any. Well, you, took your, you made your decision, took your stand. And there so, I mean, I think I'm always going to be that way. That, like, um, of course I'd like money for what I do and all that, but um, if it goes against something really strong that I believe in ethics or values, probably not. But, I, you know, I've grown the point, like, if they want to give me a Cheerios commercial, hell yeah, I eat Cheerios, that's great. <laughs> Nothing against you. Yeah. No strong feelings one way or the other. <laughs> you know, so I think that everybody actually could be mainstream to a point. Sure. You know? And that kind of brings me into the thing I wanted to talk about. Just from a technical standpoint, your process. You know, you you mentioned when you were generating ideas for a one-woman show, you kind of just have to get everything out, and then with the help of an editor, you kind of pick it apart. Do you approach it with a theme in mind going into it or do you kind of just let your mind flow and see where it takes you well this one took a long time again because it's so close to who i am and that's why i'm still doing it and i owe kim porter so much and i'm really proud of myself because as a gym and i hop all over the place but i'm still like so into the show because it's almost like my mission theme kind of thing and taking it to Scotland will be the finale, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't do it again if someone else asked me. Yeah. But I want to start developing another show doing with family. The Italian family! <laughs> but going back to what you said, is um, I'm very process-orientated, which makes improv really hard for me. That's why I do it. Right. Because I'm my strength is characters and writing, mm -hmm. 
But in improv, you have to be, like, you got to do it right there. Yeah. And see, I like getting in a play where you get a character, you can research, you get the juice, you can live that character, you can breathe that character. That's why I like doing this project and I like doing the experimental movement. Because him and I are very, it's not about so much a performance, but it's more like just like being there and really growing and developing and kind of the old, like, uh, they did uh, Ellis in Wonderland and they, they worked on this project back in the 60s for like six, seven months. And they would just get together for like hours and like the organic kind of Grotowski, Julian Beck, experimental. I come from experimental theater. That's like my favorite love and art. It seems like that's the kind of how you were talking about it before as well. The process is for you and the performance is for them. So the process is kind of where you get to explore yourself and, and maybe that's why you respond to it so much is that you get to, that's the part you enjoy and when it gets to the performance it's just the entertainment side of it I guess. Act, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm really, that's why I like improv, because um, to me it's about the connection with the audience. Even when you're doing solo work, yeah. you never develop it alone. Like people, oh, solo work, she did it all. Hell no, you always have a coach. Um, I had uh, other theater artists who came in and we did workshopping. You know, you can't develop your art in a vacuum. You know what I mean? And the main thing is then it becomes your connection with the audience. And that's why improv is so great, because it helps you build that connection. Because even my coach said, if you are real when you're doing your narrator, everything else I don't care about. And that's when the show works the best. If I'm like grounded on my feet and I'm just talking to the audience, and I can keep them with me the whole time. It's like you're taking them on a tour. And then when you fuck up, they forgive you. You know, you're like, oh shit, I fucked up. And they're like, ah! <laughs> We know, we go, okay, yeah. That's you know. <laughs> But yeah, I, I really enjoy the process. That's great. And have you ever done uh, like performance poetry as well? Is that oh, something yeah. you still do? Yeah. Oh, and what's cool about that, so when I lived in LA, right, so I auditioned for this one film. Well, I probably auditioned for more, but who the hell knows? <laughs> well, I gotta tell you two things as well. Yeah. But anyway, um, so I went to audition for this one film, and um, under special skills, that's really important on your resumes. <laughs> Even this new agent I said, said, have you read, you know, worked with a teleprompter? And I said, yeah. And she said, put it on there, so I'm gonna put it on there. But, so I put poet. So he didn't have a part, but he goes, can you do a poem? So I recited a poem, and he said, I'm going to hire you for three minutes, $75. You're just going to do that on the, the film. I was wow. so freaking jazzed. That's awesome. <laughs> but it didn't turn out great because what happened is I, they get, I had to get off work. So I got off work. They gave me a certain period of time. Yeah. They're like, we're not going to be able to shoot it, and I had to go back to work. But the whole idea was that I created my own part. Yeah, that's awesome. You know what I mean? And it kind of goes back to what you're talking about, just working as a fortune teller and stuff too. It's like you have these skills, the special skills on the resume or not, that you can still utilize to like make a career for yourself, make a living on the, on the side. I think that's so important that people don't think about. They think, I'm going to be an actress, so if I can't act, I'm not acting, you know? But there's so many other little parts of that that are acting adjacent and stuff that you can use. No, it's true. Yeah. You really have to like, you can't sit around and wait. Yeah. You know, um, like I told this agent, um, this is great. I'm so excited about having this opportunity, but I'm, of course, going to continue on my own yeah, stuff. Okay. And they said, that's fine. As long as when we need you, you're there. That's <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a good deal. You know. Okay, so you've performed your, your one-woman show, the one that you've been working on, uh, Pretty often, pin uh, number one. Pin number one. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty often over the last few years, it seems like you've had different opportunities to actually perform it. So once you're actually up there and you're 
you're doing it. How do you take away from what works and what doesn't work, you know, for the next time around? And how do you decide that, okay, it's worth one more go? Um, Well, like when I did it in Australia, even though I had really, and one of the reasons I had small audiences, Uh and you're like, you are a one-woman show in the sense that you have to be your own manager when you don't have one. So in order to afford the theater, um, I had to, like, book when, like, all the reviews were already done, so no no reviewers came. So I'm trying this time around when I go to Scotland. I might have to spend a little bit more money, but I'm trying to like make sure that my show gets performed during the time that there are people reviewing, so that it can, because I feel like it deserves more than it's gotten the yeah. recognition. But on a personal level, I just kind of evaluate like, and the audience helps you a lot because even if you have three people, they come back. Like in Australia, they came and they're like, oh my God, that was great. And this one lady was like, I've, I I would looked for you on Facebook, but see, I don't do Facebook. So <laughs> there, it, there are certain things I don't do. I don't do Facebook because um, I'm a counselor and I don't want to go there. And because I bet my brother a hundred bucks, I'll never do Facebook. But, uh, <laughs> but I do do like uh, Instagram and Twitter because you need to do something to, you know, like when you, especially when you're performing. Sure. And I, since I like to write, I really like Twitter. I haven't <laughs> been doing too much of it. But yeah, it's kind of like a personal evaluation. And then I also, what I did this time when I performed in Tucson, which is a small festival, not two years ago, mm-hmm. um, I actually asked a few audience members to write me a few reviews because I also missed the reviewers then. There was ah. a blues festival, so I keep missing all the. <laughs> and they wrote me these great reviews that I'm now going to use on flyers for my Scotland one. So I'm trying to get smarter marketing-wise. Yeah, so you can still get the blurbs out even if yeah. it's not. Yeah. Well, because in Australia they say, we need to see the proofs. <laughs> you know, I was like, what the fuck? What is the proofs? You know? <laughs> um, but again, it's not about, it's not so much, oh, I want a great review. It's just like, I want the work that I've been working so hard at and that other people help me with the, to get the recognition that it deserves. That's, you know, it's definitely valid. Yeah. And so, what does it feel like when you're at like a festival setting as opposed to like Space Fifty Five? It's these festivals. The larger they are, the tougher they are. Yeah. Because there's like a thousand shows um, in in Scotland. Uh-huh. What I did do different this time is I found out, and you just find this out from trial and error, that there's something called the Free Fringe in Scotland. So my application is sitting in there right now. Let's everybody cross our fingers. <laughs> That's where you kind of work donations only, basically, right? Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I didn't know about it. I contacted somebody else who performed, and I was like, oh, my God, this would be great, because they founded it for people like me who were losing $1,000 at a festival. And so you're a collective, and I'm excited about that. So you don't just go in there and you do a show, and it's free or whatever. You, I would have to work the show for somebody else. They would, you know, help me work mine, like the door or whatever, you know. But I'm excited about being part of a collective, so I'm hoping that I get accepted in that. Because then I can save the money. You pay a little bit, but not a thousand dollars. And I you know. think that that really speaks to what I think the true spirit of the festival should be. You know, just artists helping each other out. You know, yeah. working each other, volunteering. We're all there to see each other and support each other, type of thing. That's cool. Yeah, I told them because they asked like, "What can you do?" And I said, "Well." I went to a dance experimental collective for a week. I could clean the bathrooms. I could hand out flyers. You know, I'm not a technical person or whatever, but it's just whatever you can do. You know, but you have to be willing to help other people out, and I like that idea. I also like that idea of I'm going to be in a place I don't know anyone. So, like, when I went to Australia, I didn't know anyone. I was all alone, you know. So it would be nice to mingle that way and... You know, do you feel like 
networking at these festivals is is natural to you? Like, do you think that you try to use that opportunity to its fullest, or is that? I hate marketing. I mean, <laughs> on that, too, that's why I fit into starving artists, right? I mean, it's that's why I think this would be good because you're all handing out the pamphlets. Mm-hmm. You know, you're all working for each other, and um, ideally, because a lot of artists just don't have a business sense. Sure. So ideally, you really want like a touring manager. All the people to handle that part for you, so you don't yeah, have to. So you yeah. can like do your, but you still yeah. want to be like smart about what yeah. you're doing and what your needs are, because you don't want somebody to take advantage of you. Sure. You know, I, I don't. Know. So how do you know when a show is done? Because I know oh, you've done other shows. Well, yeah. I don't want to say this show will be done after this festival, but that's kind of the idea. Yeah. Is this was my goal for the show? So, um, and so it'll be on the shelf. Let's say that after this because uh, the period of time that I put on it and what I do is set goals for different shows. And so I was like, this particular show, I want it to go to that festival, then we'll put it on the shelf. Okay. And also because I want to start developing another show. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess, yeah, yeah, once you get that feeling of, okay, I, I have some new ideas I want to tackle, that's kind of when you have to think about it. So what, what is in your head when you set these goals? Like, how do you know that one show is like, okay, this is going to get to Tucson, and another show is, you know, this is going to get us to Edinburgh? Well, I feel like they have kind of, it's sort of like a relationship sometimes. <laughs> okay, you're good for a couple days, a couple <laughs> nights. You know? <laughs> you know, sometimes you don't know, but you, this show I made goals with, and so like my next show, I've already got the goals that I want to develop it faster, okay. not take nine years, but, um, <laughs> And I like to work with different coaches because I believe you learn. So I've already got a coach picked out, but that coach will be several dollars. Um, so that's why it's important you keep a day job. <laughs> you know, because you can do these fundraisers, which I've yeah. done two times. And people have been so generous because I think getting $1,500 to $2,000 is really, I really appreciate that. You know, but this one I decided, that's another thing is you can't keep hitting up people for money. So I was like, I hit people up in 2016, so I'm doing this one on my own. Like, I haven't asked anyone for, I'm doing, um, what do you call that, pa- pa- uh, Patreon? Oh yeah, Patreon, yeah. Yeah, okay. but I never felt like I would develop anything on there. <laughs> I mean, I've got two friends on there, but um, I think that's too hard to ask people monthly to give you money. Like, I, I don't know, I'm not sitting comfortable with it, and I think that's probably why I don't have... Yeah, it's, money. A, it's a weird request to make, yeah. and I know I know people who do it, and um, I think it's been it's beneficial when you when you have maybe have I guess a physical product. You know, like a lot of the people I know on there are painters, yeah. artists, sketches, stuff oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No, that that I think maybe is a little bit easier to say. Okay, you give me this, I give you this. But for someone like you know, like us who was performers, then I guess it is maybe a little more ethereal. A little, yeah, yeah, because I well, what I offer is like tarot readings. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I have like two friends on there. They're just really generous. And yeah, I haven't been paying too much attention to it, but I do a few updates and all that. Because I really feel like this one I'm probably going to carry on my own. Oh, great. You know, I'm hoping this free fringe thing works out. Yeah. So, and it's kind of a nerve wracking process. Is you have to be registered by mid March. So, nor- and you go through contacting all these theaters, getting their prices, blah, blah, blah. I did it for Australia, so it's similar. <laughs> But now I'm just kind of sitting waiting because the Free French does not want you to contact other venues. But if you don't put down to perform for the full 22 run, yeah. 
um, which they suggest a solo person doesn't do because that's rough 22 performances, but I put I can do that, but I also put prefer the 11 yeah. run. They said then sit back because they're going to have to book these other people first. So I'm going to give it to like February and follow up if I haven't heard. Because then they're like, before you flop down $1,000, contact us because we might have a venue coming to you in two days after that. Oh, yeah. So it's a lot of waiting. and and But, you know, since I did Australia, I'm kind of like prepped. That's good. You know. We're looking forward to hearing the results of that. But so the last couple questions I'd like to ask. It's about time to wrap it up. Um, first off, um, is there any other artist in town of any discipline, doesn't have to be another performer, that you want to give some recognition to, shout out to? Well, my partner. <laughs> see, my partner, Jen, he's awesome. Um, he hangs out at Space 55 a lot. Um, he's more underground than I am, I think. Well, I, would, I shouldn't say that because I'm very underground. I'm just, I'm a little bit more crazy doing all these different things. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he does fabulous stuff, and I'm just gonna leave it at Jen Space 55 because people will know who he is by saying that, okay. nice. you know. But also, I've been um, I started taking classes at Second Beat, <laughs> uh, you know, not to compete with the Torch because they're both cool. Yeah, they're great guys. You know, because yeah. now I'm gonna be getting off Saturday night, so I might do some of the. I like the female jam at the Torch. Oh yeah, the Raya jam, right? Yeah, yeah. but I mean, I think both the Torch and Second Beat are just great places to like get you know training and I think that you should always be training like I take big huge breaks but I think that you I train in writing I train in improv you know always be keeping your tools sharp anybody else off the top of your head well Kim Porter I, I mean <laughs> she's my number one um, in terms of, like she's doing a solo development workshop at uh, Second Beat she's just like she's your basic your angel as a solo performance uh, you know person it's, you know. <laughs> so, that's awesome. Okay. Uh, any personal projects you want to plug, you know, websites, social media, any well, of that? Yeah. The other thing I just want to say is, yeah. uh, and I don't want to get too political, but I'm with uh, WLPF, which is Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. And um, I got in there because they asked if I was an actress. And so I've done like readers, I've done performance for peace. I'm a big like, Yoko Ono! <laughs> that's fantastic. But the idea is just find, you know, what I want to say is find issues that are really important to you that you believe in. And, like, sometimes you can incorporate that in your theater or writing. And when at all possible, use humor. Because, like, with Christina Wong, my show is basically a comedy, but it's got huge tragedy in it. But it's got, like, really strong political points as well. You know, about being an outcast socially, mentally, and physically. And don't let people label you, you know. Um, making your own identity. Do they have a website, the WLPF? Is there like a place oh, yeah. where you can find more information? Just Women's yeah. League of um, International Peace and Freedom. And you can like read about it. And we actually have a man. Well, he's the, <laughs> he's the husband of the president. Okay. <laughs> well, what I like about the group is that we're all older women in our I'm actually one of the youngest in the 50s. And I'm, I'm going to be hosting at my house. My house has now become an underground theater and an underground peace movement activist hideout. So I will not give that address out. And my grandmother will probably be rolling in her grave. And my great uncle, who was a former vet. But, you know, it's all good. It's all good. It sounds like a good time. Uh, last thing I'd like to ask, if there's just any one piece of advice you'd want to pass on to somebody who might be starting down a path similar to yours. The main thing is to focus on the work and, like, get a good therapist. <laughs> 
<laughs> can't, can't hurt. I mean, I, I, I'm in therapy. I love therapy. That's my field, counseling psychology. And this, there's a stigma about it that you're crazy, but really artists need support. So uh, I thought about founding like an artist support group before. I've looked up them. So just getting good support, you know, doing the work, having... Um, Having places, communities that you go to, like yeah. the Torch, Space 55, you know, where these people really love you, you know? Really, yeah, can't be stated enough. Artists need support. I love it. Oh, right. yeah. Pina, thank you so much for your time. Thanks. <laughs> Special thanks to Nick Machete for writing our theme music and Taylor Machete for all of her support. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, don't forget to follow us and leave nice ratings on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Pinecast.co. And if you or someone you know is pursuing something artistic in the Phoenix area and you'd like to be on the podcast, write to me at starvingartistsphx at gmail.com.